Shall we uh, bow our heads for prayer? God, as we, as we now prepare to open ourselves up to your word, Lord, we pray that you would silence all of the distractions, all of the things that are going on in our mind of the things that we have to get done this week for Thanksgiving or all of the other things that are just crowding this moment. May you clear that from our minds and may we be fully present to your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. I'm preaching from here because I want you to be able to see how beautiful this looks. Amen. For all of the people that brought this, that put this on, that decorated, we are thankful for all that you have done. So, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, there's something that I need your help with. And so, how many of you brought your cell phones this morning? I know, yeah. I know some of you guys text during the sermon. So, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I see everything. I see when you sleep. I see when you're looking down at something. So here's what I want you to do. In the spirit of Thanksgiving, will you text to that phone number what you're thankful for? Just three things. It doesn't have to be long. It can just be, you know, but whatever it is, just do that. I want to share this. You have 30 seconds starting now. So all of you, start texting. That number. It's, it's, I'm the only one that has access to it, so don't worry. It's not, your number will not be sold. Somebody text, for my family and for my health. Somebody says, for my husband, my job, and my mother, my children. For my, for my, oh wait, wrong one. (laughs) For my horse, it said. For my family and for God's love. I did this with, I did this with junior high kids and somebody says, I'm thankful for my horse. So... Must be a hard life. For having my entire family together for Thanksgiving for the first time ever. I don't have that number in here, so whoever that is, that's, that's awesome. I am thankful for Jesus and my salvation. I'm thankful for my relationship with Jesus. I'm thankful for eternal life. I am thankful that God accept me as I am always. Amen. I'm thankful for my wonderful family and my loving fiance. Congratulations. I don't know who that is. I'm thankful for family and for friends. You know, I think when, when we do these, co- oh, I got to turn this off. Okay, you guys can stop texting. <laughs> for my children and all my family, for our church family, and for family. I think what happens once a year when we do this, you know, we as pastors, we stand up here every Sabbath, and we tell you that there are things that we should all be thankful for, right? And we say, God, we're thankful for all the blessings, for all the wonderful things you've given to us. But I think when, when it comes to Thanksgiving, it's always a good time for us to reflect a little bit more on the things that we're truly thankful for. And if, we, and if we do that, we begin to realize that we have so much more than we thought we did. So to get started, I want to read a couple of, of quotes that I found about Thanksgiving. And this one says, we would worry less if we praised more. Thanksgiving is the enemy of discontent and dissatisfaction. Do you agree? We'd be less worried if we praised more. 
The pilgrims made seven times more graves than huts. No Americans have been more impoverished than these who, nevertheless, set aside a day of giving thanks or of thanksgiving. In ordinary life, we hardly realize that we receive a great deal more than we give, and it is only with gratitude that life becomes rich. This, by the way, this is just an aside, as the, the person who wrote this, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, was one who would ultimately be killed for his faith um, during World War II. If a fellow isn't thankful for what he's got, he isn't likely to be thankful for what he's going to get. It's kind of that same adage of the more you have, the more you want. To hear someone say happy turkey day makes me sad because they have nothing to be thankful for and no one to whom to be thankful. I don't know. That was kind of cool. A thankful heart is not only the greatest virtue, but the parent of all other virtues. You know, when we think about Thanksgiving, um, oftentimes it is just, oh, I can't wait for that turkey. And, and how many pounds does this turkey have to have? Or, or how big does this turkey have to be in order to be able to, to feed all of my family members or friends who are going to be there with us? And then the conversation goes, and who's going to make the yams? And who's going to make the pumpkin pie or buy the pumpkin pie? And who's going to do this? And who's going to do that? And what time are we going to eat that day? No, we can't eat that late because it's too late because some of us have to get to Target at midnight. And we can't eat that early and we can't eat that early because then it's not as special because then it's lunch. And so, and so what happens during Thanksgiving and, and subsequently for Christmas, there are all of these other side conversations about what's going to happen and how it's going to happen and who's going to do what that sometimes we forget what it's really about. Now, Thanksgiving should be the moment where we remind ourselves that we have so much to be thankful for, even if we have less than we once had. Does that make sense? Because even less is so much more than other people have. And so I want to share with you a story from Scripture this morning as we kind of think about this attitude of thanksgiving. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, it's 2 Kings chapter 5. You know, I think that as, as Christians and as people, we oftentimes spend more time demanding or, or rather asking and requesting things from God that we sometimes forget everything he's already given us. We spend more time with requests than we do with praises. And I think that that's a fundamental problem with our faith sometimes. Start always with what you're thankful for and what you praise God for. And secondly, for the requests. And you will find that if you're spending more time praising God, you will find that some of these requests may not seem so big and so heavy. So here we go. Let's read the story. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be cleaned. Now the story goes like this. Now I'm looking around and most of you are people who have probably been in church and have heard this story. But if you're here and you don't know the story, Elisha was a man who was a, le uh, not Elisha, Naaman, the Bible describes him earlier in this chapter as a mighty man of valor in the king of Syria's army. He was like up in command. He was, he was I mean, he was a warrior. And so anything the king needed, probably 
Naaman got. The problem is that he was a leper. And if you remember anything from Sabbath school or Sunday school, wherever you came up through, is that a leper was somebody who was an outcast from society. It was a person who you would not come by. So maybe this man had to cover his body more than everybody else so people wouldn't see that. And so there was a little girl in the kingdom of Syria who says, you know what, I know somebody who can cure your leprosy. And so the king of Syria sent a letter to the Israelites, to their king, which they were enemies. They didn't like each other. They fought. But he valued this man, Naaman, so much that he sent him to his enemy and said, I heard that there is a man of God who can cure my servant, Naaman. So Naaman goes with his people and with this little girl. He gives it to the king of the Israelites, and, the, and he was afraid. He goes, what, is he trying to mock me? Right? That's kind of paraphrasing the story. But he was like, is he trying to start a war? But it wasn't. The little girl said no. So Naaman is sent to Elisha's house. And this is what Elisha says. He says, go and wash yourself seven times in the river Jordan. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand all over the place, and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Do you see kind of the rivalry, enemy? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father... It is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down, dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, and according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a child, and he was clean. Because of his position, he felt that he deserved more than a servant of Elijah coming to give him a message. This was a man that is used to having an audience with the king of Syria anytime he wanted. This is a man who fought many battles, who proved himself to be a mighty man of valor, a warrior, somebody that people feared. This is the man, Naaman, who was leading people into battle. People would follow him because they believed in him. So when he comes, not only to just to his, he comes to his enemy, right? To the Israelites, he goes there. They don't even give him the time of day. Elijah doesn't. He simply just tells his messenger, go and tell Naaman to wash in the Jordan. Naaman believed that he deserved, that he deserved more than this. And so he starts looking for other ways to do this. Well, what about this? Why don't I go do this? Why don't I go wash myself in these other rivers that are much better? And the response that he is given by his servants, by his, or his children, is what? Didn't he just tell you to go, just go and wash yourself there and you'll be done? You're looking for all of these other ways to be healed, and this man of God just told you, just go and be washed there. And it'll be done, and it'll be over, and you will be healed. Here's what I think, why this story is important to us. Because I think that we oftentimes believe that we deserve more than what we have or we deserve more than what God has been willing to give us or we deserve something different than what God gave us how many of you have ever been passed over for a promotion and instead of being happy for the person that was your friend you're now upset that they are the ones that got that job 
How many of you have ever been upset that, the, that one of your friends or family members was able to get this one thing that you wanted and they got it first because you couldn't afford to get that? How many of you have ever felt like you were shortchanged by something? You think to yourself, I worked hard my whole life. I'm trying to get ahead in life. And all I see is other people advancing, but I don't. I deserve this. See, I believe that Naaman felt like he deserved much more than he really deserved. You see, what happens is when we begin to have this kind of mentality, I deserve this, I deserve that, I deserve this, we go from having a life that is fully dependent on God and saying, God, I am thankful for the gift of life. Whatever comes my way, I will be thankful for. We go from that to, I deserve more and more and more. I'm going to work harder and harder to get everything I possibly want. And what happens is life goes from being a gift of God to being what I make of it. Now, this is not a critique on hard work. Please understand that. I think everybody should work hard. (laughs) That's how I was raised. That's not what I'm saying. But when we begin to have this sense of, this is what I deserve, it becomes entitlement. And what ends up happening is we lose our sight on who God is and what he's done for us. And we focus only on ourselves. And that's called idolatry. You see, we think we're serving God. We think we have our faith in God. We think we believe in Jesus. But in in reality, most of us just serve ourselves. Now, you may say that's not true for me, but it may be. Because the stories from the beginning of Bible until the very end of Scripture is that of of a people that is always self-serving and looking out for themselves before they are asking, what is God wanting to do in my life? And so I want to go to the next text as we kind of continue to make sense of this. The Israelites said to Moses, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You remember the story. The Israelites were slaves, right? They were beaten. They were abused. All they were good for was making bricks to build someone else's empire. And God comes in and through Moses, he delivers the Israelites. He takes them out of slavery and he says, I'm taking you to a land that is filled with milk and honey, which is the Bible way of saying, I'm going to lead you to the place that has the very best of the land. But it's a journey, and so they have to go from point A to point B. But what happens is the Israelites, it said, the Bible records that they complained 14 different times. Now, if you were a slave, if you were not autonomous, if you had no freedom, would you be upset? Would you hate that? Yeah, right? Our, our, our country right, is founded on liberty. We want freedom. We want liberty. And any time a freedom is taken away, people get upset. So if you were not a free person, you would hate that. And if somebody comes to you and says, I will rescue you from this, I will take you away from this bondage of slavery, I will will free you from that. Isn't that good news? That would be great. So the Israelites kind of followed, but what the Israelites did is they kept complaining and complaining and complaining that they didn't have that life that they used to have. As horrible and as bad as it was, they were complaining because they wanted to go back to that. God gave them everything they needed, and yet they were still complaining because they could not see what they had right in front of them, their freedom and food and everything they possibly could need. It wasn't a lavish life. 
right? They, they were sometimes afraid there would not be enough food, but God always provided their necessities. And I would put it like this. In essence, they wanted someone else's life. They wanted the life that they had in Egypt, a different life. They wanted a life where they had everything and more, kind of. Do you think this happens to us sometimes? From the time that we're young, if you watch children, if you have children, they, they'll dress the way their favorite soccer player dresses. Like for my son, right, he's always wearing soccer stuff because he wants to be a soccer player. And he combs his hair a certain way because that's how a certain soccer player has it. Now, my son can back it up, so I'm okay with that. If he wasn't, if he couldn't, I'd be like, hey, uh, just have a regular hairstyle. <laughs> but he can. Or we, we dress the way actors dress because we want to have their kind of fashion style. Or we use words that, of people that we admire. And so what happens is from the time we're young, it's like we're always trying to be somebody else. Now, how many of you have ever heard of the show? And you don't, I mean, you might want to keep this one silent because, you know, you don't want other people to judge you. <laughs> we would never do that here, but you'll see. <laughs> how many of you have ever seen the show or heard of the show um, or have an opinion about a show called Keeping Up with the Kardashians. I, I know you guys know what I'm talking about. If you read the news, you know you've heard that Kardashian name before. And I'm not talking about the O.J. Simpson trial. But here is a show that is really about nothing. I can't stand it myself, but that's not a judgment on good, right, moral, or wrong. I just can't stand it, okay, for a lot of reasons. Because they're famous for nothing. So there's a petition that's, and there's a reason why I'm bringing this up. There's a petition that's been going around the, the internet um, of, the, of a grassroots organization that's trying to get enough petitions to take that show and, all, and, and the Kardashian shows off the air. And here's what they say. We feel that these shows are mostly staged, true, and place an emphasis on vanity, greed, promiscuity, vulgarity, and over-the-top... Um, Consumptuous consumption. That's weird, right? Con conspicu conspicuous, whatever. Conspicuous. Cons it's the first time I've seen that word. <laughs> but it's a show about nothing. It's a show that promotes all of the things that the Bible speaks against. Here's another one. And I'm not judging you if you watch it. I'm just saying I don't like it. While some, I didn't start this petition. I'm just telling you what it says. Here's another thing that this group says. While some may have begun watching the spectacle as mindless entertainment or some sort of reality satire, it is a sad truth that many young people are looking up to this family and are modeling their appearance and behavior after them. That, I believe, is true. You see, what happens is we have all of this influx of all of this. This is what life should be like. Well, well. And, and so what happens is our children, they look up to this and they begin to see like, hey, I deserve that. That's what I want. That's the kind of car I want. That's where I want to go. That's, and what ends up happening is when you go to, science, to these projects, I remember last year, and I've told you this before, but I went to a, our second graders, a project for his, all the second graders, and they had to make a, a project poster board or a, three, a trifold about what they want to do when they grow up. And so everybody had the, the regular stuff, right, firemen, whatever. But then there was one that I came to. And it says, I want to be a famous basketball player. And then there was a second one that says, I want, to be, I want to be famous something else. You see, what's happening 
as adults, it may not bother us, and it may not, you know, I don't want to be like the Kardashians, you know what I mean? Like, I, that's not what's important to me. But I think what happens subconsciously to the minds of children is that's the reality that becomes real to them, and we all know that's not reality. And what ends up happening is as parents, we're having to compete with what the media and Hollywood is putting out there as how things should be. And we're competing with that because we're trying to instill in our kids, it's not about all of those things, it's about the stuff that really matters, except that the TV screen is a lot more convincing than you are. And so what happens is, see, the, what happens is the kids begin to believe, this is what I deserve, this is what I want, and they, and they no longer focus on character or integrity or doing what is right or, or, or doing any of the things that God has called families to lead their kids to. And just like Naaman, people, us as well, believe that we deserve so much more than what we have. And what happens is we begin to say, I need, I need, I need more. When as Christians and faithful followers of Jesus, we should be saying, God, thank you for all that I already have. Thank you that I do have food to feed my family Thank you that I have a home to sleep in. Thank you that I have a car to drive to work in. Thank you that I am alive. Thank you that even though I have this illness, I'm still alive. Thank you that you've given me my family, my friends, this church, whatever it is. You see, when we ask this question before to kids and they say, what are you thankful for? Generally, it's things. As we get older, it's, not no, it's no longer about things we're thankful for. It's about the realities of life, which is family, friends. One of the things we saw here is God's acceptance of me, God's grace and salvation. As we get older, we begin to realize that's what's truly important aren't the things that we can have in our hand, but the realities that God creates for us. And so like Naaman, we have to fight the urge to want more and be thankful for what God is willing to do for us and has done for us. So I want to read another story about lepers as well. So there's a story, 10 lepers have leprosy and they see Jesus. Oh, I didn't put that part. And they see Jesus and they, from a distance, they, they ask Jesus to have mercy on them. And so here's where we pick up the story. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, one of the lepers, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Key word, come back to. Then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Are you thankful for what God gives you? Or do you just tell yourself, I deserve it. I deserve this. This is mine. Now, the idea that he was a Samaritan. Okay, Samaritans were viewed as dogs, as nothing good. They were outcasts. And yet the one who had every right not to come back, comes back because he acknowledges that it is God who has the power not only to heal but to save and to rescue. Are you taking the time to give thanks for what you have? Or are you busy trying to live someone else's life? Riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. This is to God. 
In your hand are power and might, and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. And now, our God, we give thanks to you and praise for your glorious name. Let me give you another example. When I was younger, the idea of giving tithes and offering was like blasphemous to me. Because I used to sit in an office for eight hours a day, boring office, and you know, you know, inputting the same information for eight hours a day. Okay, I got up to get coffee as often as I could just because I was falling asleep. And at the end of the two weeks, when I would get paid, I had X amount of dollars. And I was living at home, so I didn't have any bills. You know, I was in high school. I had no bills. I had nothing to worry about. All I knew is that I had already spent that money before I even got it because I was 16 years old, and that's what we did. So the thought that I had to give 10% or that God was asking me to give 10% of that as tithe and then, you know, some offering above that to me was a foreign concept because I thought to myself, I worked for this money. I deserve to keep it. The problem with that understanding is the gift of life was given to me by God. So the fact that I even have the ability to work and move and do all of this is kind of like I owe God. In, In essence... Life is the only priceless thing we have, right, for the most part. Life is the only thing we can't get back. God gives us that and allows us to be able to do all of these many things that we're doing. But when it, was, when it came time for me to give tithe, I couldn't and I didn't because I needed that extra, whatever, $100 every two weeks to go spend on frivolous things. Maybe they weren't frivolous, right? Maybe it was clothes, whatever it was, but you get the point. Until I realized that it's a gift, especially now, that I even have a job. And it's a gift that I have the opportunity to work and be able to get a paycheck every two weeks. And so I am reminded that God has given that to me because he gave me life. And all God asks of us is to return 10%, not because God needs your money. He doesn't need our money. Okay, heaven's, heaven's streets are paved with gold. That's dirt for heaven, okay? Tithe and offering is how we show God, do we really trust you? Do you really trust God to take care of us? Do we really trust God that this, what is it, like, what is it, uh, 87% if you give offering as well, 3% or whatever, whatever God moves you to? Can we live off of 87%? Or does a lifestyle that I've chosen to live for myself, it won't allow me to serve God that way? You see, that's a very real way, and we don't talk about it often here in the church because we didn't, people in general don't like to talk about money, right? You don't talk about money, politics, or I don't know what the other one is. Religion. <laughs> ah, but that one doesn't count here. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. <laughs> we could talk about religion all day here. But, but the truth is, that is how we show God that we indeed trust him to care for us. And so do we, do we and are we thankful for what God gives us or are we always wanting more? Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. This week as, we, um, as you have your Thanksgiving meal, if you do that, I want you to stop and with your family sitting around the table be say what you're thankful for that's something that we try to do my family's not good with talking about how we feel so it's always going to challenge 
But I invite you to do it <laughs> because it allows other people to see that you're actually thankful for something and what God has given you. And begin your day. You know, we always say begin your day with prayer and Bible study. Why don't you also begin your day with prayer and saying, thank you, God, for this and list all of the things you're thankful for. And I believe that if we can live a life that always is looking at what we're thankful for, it'll be a life that is well-lived because we will realize that we don't really lack very much. If we live a life with an attitude of thankfulness, what we're really doing is, is living a life that acknowledges that God is who he says he is and that God will continue to deliver all that we need because we are his children. You would never keep something from your child that they needed. God, who is better than you, will not let you go without what you need. And God will use any and every avenue to get that to you. Will you pray with me? God, as we contemplate all of the things we're thankful for, as the pastor of this church, I want to thank you, Lord, that you have been fully present here. I want to thank you that you are continuing to work in this, in this congregation, that you are continually blessing us with so many different things, Lord, with leaders who have risen up to take up their, their command, that you have filled this church with people who are passionate about preaching and passionate about singing and passionate about playing instruments and passionate to serve those in our community who are in need. God, we are thankful for what you're doing. And Lord, we pray that we would continue to be faithful to your call. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I did want to take a moment and thank Yoli Merklin for joining me. Um, she's one of my oldest friends. And uh, before today, <laughs> we hadn't sung together in over 10 years. But when I started getting sick, I wasn't sure I'd be able to be up here. And, and I asked her to help me to carry it a little better. And I am one of the things I'm thankful for this week is Yoli. So. Stop. 
Please stand. Our Father in heaven, it's with grateful hearts and thanks today that we come here before you. We thank you for all you've done for us, that you've given us so much, and that we now have the opportunity to return a small portion of what you've given. We ask that you will touch each heart here and help us to give generously with a cheerful heart. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 